It's such a blessing just to hear the goodness of God and the kindness of God in the message of communion and how it just touches our hearts. <laughs> Glory to God. Today I'm going to be talking about the forgiveness of sins and also um, confession of sin. You know, when it comes to the confession of sin, so many of us had a wrong understanding of the confession of sin. And this is how I used to see the confession of sin. I've seen the confession of sin as an acknowledgement that I was wrong and wherein I showed my remorse to God and where I said, God, I've been wrong. I've sinned against you. And then it was almost as if my remorse and my sorrow was a kind of a payment wherein which God would then see and from there I would then be removed from the from um, from the place where I was not under the protection of God, and then I was moved back into a place of protection. I would say sorry, and I remember in my life many times it would be I would go and I would say to God I'm sorry, and even after I've said I'm sorry, I would say I'm sorry, and again and again it was almost as if my remorse and my sorrow could not remove my guilt. It was as if there was still something in my heart that was taking place, even, even after I've said sorry. And then I would feel sorrowful about that bad thing, and it would still be in my mind for some days. And then after a while, I would start to feel better, and then I will have a passion again for the things of God, and go and study the Bible, and read the Scripture, and continue with that which, um, which I thought He has called me to do. And this sin confession was something that I felt was needed so that there will not be an open door for the devil to um, to attack me and those kind of things. And if we read John, you know, many of us in the, in the grace circles would say we don't need to confess our sins, yet, and we understand certain, uh, the certain logic of that, and I'm going to add to that today um, some things that I haven't preached on before that I'm going to uh, be teaching on today. And we would say, well, we don't have to confess our sins. And then we would do something that we feel was actually harming um, our family. You'd harm your wife or your kids, or you would do something that was simply not right. And it was this thing of, well, I am forgiven, but I still feel a need to say I'm sorry. And then we don't know how to deal with that need to say I'm sorry. Where, where, where does that fit in? Why am I feeling that desire to express that I am sorry and even saying to God that I am sorry? It was almost that we felt guilty again about feeling that we want to confess and that we want to say I'm sorry, uh, but we're not supposed to feel that way because we are now in the New Testament and all our sins were taken away and we have no need of confession anymore. And that brings a bit of a confusion and I'm sure you'll agree with that. It's, it's, it's like almost both sides of the spectrum is not really accurate. And what is this all about? Why did John write? And we need to understand. I can understand why many people would think that sin confession is needed because it's written in the New Testament. It's written in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. It clearly says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. 
And then this scripture would be used continually to Christians, um, even if if they have confessed their sin, because this this scripture can actually just by reading it cannot be used over and over and over towards Christians. Just read it. It says, "If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us." Then, verse nine: If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now we say, well, I've been cleansed from all unrighteousness, but then verse 8 applies again. And verse 8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So it's like, how does this work? And what about people that sin and then receive Jesus, sin, and I'm talking about a transgression of the law, do something bad, and continue with that? How do you deal with that? Now I'm going to look at the history of 1 John here. John wrote to Gnostics, but what he wrote to the Gnostics was a gospel truth. So this is true about everybody. But he specifically went and wrote to the Gnostics. Now I want to just explain in short what the Gnostics were. The Gnostics, and we find many Gnostics today, people that are uh, caught up in Gnosticism. And they were people that actually believed that matter is bad and spirit is good. And um, <clears throat> and that we are actually holy spirits. I'm not talking about the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit itself, but that we are actually holy people trapped in an earthen suit. And that we, through higher knowledge on meditation and those kind of things, higher knowledge on... I mean, back then they had higher knowledge on many things, higher knowledge on food, higher knowledge on meditation, higher knowledge on on how to deal with people and all those kind of things, wherein they felt they could give more of an expression to who they really are, um, who this spirit man now is, which is holy. And in such a way, they are starting to experience an escape from the evil physical. And then one day when they would die, it was like a, like a bliss, a beautiful, wonderful thing, because they would be delivered from the evil physical, yet they would believe that in themselves there is no evil because they see themselves as a spirit. Now, as I say that, I'm sure that many of you would say, but isn't that the truth? Isn't it true that we as a, as a spirit is holy? Our souls are trying to be renewed and our bodies are actually evil. I mean, it is still flooded with sin in the flesh and all those kind of things. And it's almost as if we would, when we die, we would use words like, we're going home, we're going to where we belong, and we are leaving this evil suit, this, uh, uh, this mind which is evil, we're leaving it behind because we are the holy, uh, we are holy inside ourselves. We would say, well, isn't that the truth? Now, as we believe it in Christianity, we would say that is the truth based on the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the, uh, the Gnostics didn't believe that that was based on the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They just believed that spirit is good and matter is evil. And that is it. And they saw themselves as <clears throat> this spirit, soul, body kind of being, or more of a spirit inside of a body. 
and that they through knowledge could have expression and have actually more of who they really are manifest in this world. And I'm sure as you hear this, you can start to see how close it is to what we know Christianity to be today. But John didn't have that mindset. John's mindset wasn't, (coughs) I'm a perfect spirit which live in a not-so-perfect body. God's mindset was a bit different. The way I see God's mindset and the mindset of the early church was that they didn't, um, they knew that there was spirit, life, body. But I think their definitions on what these things were was a bit different than that, or actually a lot different than that which the Gnostics had. And I would also think that what a lot of what we have in the church today would have. (coughs) Because we must realize that John comes here and he is having a setting, he first set the, the platform for his argument in John chapter 1 verse 1 to 4. And I want to read that. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have seen it. And bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. Now, the Gnostics of that time didn't reject Jesus. They believed in Jesus because they said that Jesus had things like, um, he said, I have the words of life. And they would say he's got secret knowledge which is of that spirit which is in him which is life. Or they would, Jesus would say, if, you've known, if, if, you, if you know me, you will know eternal life. Those kind of things. And it, the Gnostics, from their way of reasoning, would grab onto that. So they, and they believe that Jesus gave very good examples on how to love on people and how to be good. And that was ways wherein you would suppress the flesh. You would put the flesh under, basically. So, I'm a spirit person, and now I'm putting this evil body with its desires under by continuing, continuing, continuing to do, uh, think good thoughts and love on people and those kind of things. Um, sounds so much like what we know today. But that was not what John was believing and what he was saying. John was saying in verse 3 here, That which we've seen and heard declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus. And these things write me unto you, that your joy may be full. Now what is it, what has He just said? What John came and what he declared there was so anti-Gnosticism, it, it was like unbelievable. What he was saying is that the word of life, which you think is in the heavens became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we beheld and we touched the word of life. And what he said there is that matter is not evil. Matter is not evil. Matter, um, matter is good. You know, when God made the earth, He made the heaven and the earth, and He said it was good. So, it is not as if matter is just evil and we need to escape this physical world. And what he was saying is, there is a life that was from the beginning with God, and that life can actually indwell matter. And matter can actually be glorified with that life. That is what he's saying. And what he was saying is, you don't need a separation from matter 
to be holy and righteous, but that you can and that, is, that, and that God came and had the full life of God manifest in an earth suit and we saw it and we touched it. And he's referring to Jesus, I believe, after the resurrection, when he was raised from the dead, when he could be touched. And what he was saying is that God's plan with man and that it is also possible for man to have what they would call in the spirit that holiness. He could have that as an entire being. And by that he was saying that you are not just a spirit, but that you are a human being. That was what, he was, that was what the Gnostics would hear when he would say that. Now what he's saying in verse 2, let me just read verse 2 and 3 again. He says, For the life... For the life was manifest, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that also, that you may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus. And you know what he's saying there? He's saying that they as humans, spirit, soul, and body, if we want to call it like that, or as we would say it, a living soul, they are having their fellowship with the Father. In other words, they are saying, we are now, in every area of our life, we are having our fellowship with the Father and with the physical Jesus Christ. That is the boat we are in. We are sharing in the very life of God. That is what they are saying. And what they are actually saying is that our bodies will also have this eternal life. And that we are sharing in this holiness, not just in our spirits, but in every area of our life, because of what God has done. That is what they, that's what the Gnostics would hear if John said that. Now, let's go on. He says, This then is the message which we've heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So what he's saying is, is you say that you have fellowship with God. You have the life of the Almighty God in you, but you're still having fellowship with darkness, saying that I've, I'm life inside me and I've got a body that's evil. He says it doesn't work like that. You cannot be in darkness and be in light at the same time. And what he's trying to communicate here is that the light of God can permeate every area of our life and that we don't have to escape this world or escape our bodies, our physical bodies, to go to a place somewhere in the heavens where we can actually start to enjoy the life of God. And what John is starting to say here is that the God that has got eternal life can and brings that life into the physical so that we in this life don't have to, through secret knowledge, try and suppress the flesh, but that the flesh can be saved. Now, church, that is a message that is not, <coughs> it's not preached. It, it's simply not preached. And sadly, in the church, and I'm not pointing, I'm, I'm pointing to myself because I think of what I've preached. If I go in, in my history and what I've preached, then I would be as guilty about this as anyone else. But I just find that as you read the Bible and you get comfortable with the presence of the Lord, you find that you don't get scared to think outside of 
the normal parameter that you've been used to think in. So here he comes and now he's addressing these Gnostics and he says in verse 7, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So what he's saying is, is that you Gnostics think that you have got this spirit that's holy. We Christians, our fellowship is with God and His light enlightens every part of us. Every part. His light even ends our sin. His light will even end our physical death and raise us from the dead one day. That is what he's talking about. And he's talking about the restoration of all things. That's what he's talking about. Where the Gnostics had this dualistic system which was all about there's um, a spiritual and a physical like I've explained and so forth. I don't want to go into how they believe everything was created and all of that. But um, I think this is enough for you to know. That is what they believed. They believed in there's a spiritual thing and then there's a physical thing. And the spiritual thing was like the ghost inside a man, if you want to call it like that. And that that spirit then will leave the earth and go and be in the heavens in a very high place. Some of them believe that those people didn't live well here will first go through a purification time of uh, a temporal, what we would call hell or difficult time. And then from there learn the truths of the spirit world and then so have that holiness. And there were different sects of that as well. But that's not what, what John was talking about. John was saying, listen, Jesus is a physical human being and he is fellowshipping with the Father. Fellowshipping doesn't mean, in this case, sitting around the table and having tea. What he talks about fellowship means having the same kind of an existence. They fellowship in eternal life. And Jesus had that inside a physical body, wherein his physical body was glorified, wherein the Father conquered all the sin, because Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh, or a body that didn't have the ability by itself to have eternal life. And the Father came and glorified that body, conquered the sin of humanity. Now, since Jesus, and I want you to think with me on this, since Jesus conquered the sin of humanity, do you know what the promise is in Christ? The promise is a physical earth with physical people wherein heaven and earth collides, becomes one, wherein there is an earth with physical people living on it as we are living here in a more glorified state, which, is, which we cannot explain in our own language, wherein nobody hurts anybody, wherein there is no transgression, where no one sins, where everybody loves and is kind and is good and is happy and is generous and blessed and all those kind of things, wherein there is eternal life. That is what, if Jesus became the sin of all the world and conquered it and was raised from the dead, that is the promise which God gives. And now we as Christians cannot go down to this narrow parameter of salvation which is only in the small space of your spirit leaves your body and go to heaven. That's very close to Gnosticism. I would say that is a mixture of Gnosticism and Christianity. And that leaves us powerless in this earth. That's why people will all the time think that I'm evil. Some part of me is still bad. But the moment you start to see, like Paul says, he says your body is the very temple of God and holy. That is not Gnostic language. 
How can you have a body that's holy die and throw it away for no need anymore? God will restore and bring life. Now he goes on and he says, he says, if we say we have no sin. Now let me explain this. He's now speaking in the parameter of a person that does not believe in Jesus. He says, if we say we have no sin. In other words, that's what those Gnostics believe. They said, I am a spirit and this spirit has no sin. He says, if you say that your spirit has no sin, you deceive yourself. And the truth is not in you. And even uh, um, if we look at, at this, if we say that I, inside myself, I even can go now today, if I, after I'm saved, say, and I want to define sin as, um, let me first say it this way, if I go and I say that I have the ability right now, Bertie Brits, on his own right now to have eternal life just by myself because now I've been born again the spirit was now enlightened so this spirit now without Jesus if I decide not to believe in Jesus anymore I've got eternal life abiding in me just as I am without Christ I'm a liar and I deceive myself what he's talking about here is a fellowship with God wherein there is no death on account of our fellowship with Him. Can you see how this veers completely away from works righteousness, trying to have secret knowledge, trying to have secret meditations and all those kind of things, but wherein God is the Alpha and the Omega, wherein God is the one that brings forth a new spirit in us, and that spirit doesn't just talk about a holy little man living inside here, but actually talks about a holy spirit, which is a holy life, a holy atmosphere, a holy depth of being, a holy thought, a holy platform from where we move on. And from there we find our life, our soul, being preserved inside the love of God. And we find our, our body, or what we would call sin in the flesh, the inability of man, being conquered by the power of God, wherein we see that conquering in the form of love and joy and peace and long-suffering and all those kind of things. Now he comes and he says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. And cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Now, that is the verse I want to get to today. So what he's saying to the Gnostics, he says, listen. In the more we say we don't have, the, we don't have, we have eternal life just inherently. We're going to live forever. And the problem we have is, inside us we have eternal life, but our bodies keeps us back and we're just going to, get rid of this dirt bag, and then we're going to be at a better place. Christians say, many Christians say exactly the same. They just say, because Jesus died, now I can have what the Gnostics believe. Where John didn't believe that. John never believed that. The apostles of Jesus never believed that. The early church fathers didn't believe that. Um, they had a problem with that. They were against that. And what he says here is, you guys think that it is a weak thing to acknowledge your inability. Why don't you rather come and acknowledge your inability, your sin, which is, which means not to share in eternal life. And when you can see that you are not sharing in eternal life and your fellowship can now be with Jesus, meaning you saying that he took my inability and he 
took my sin, He took my death, died it away, was raised up in a brand new life. If I can see that and I'm in that fellowship, then God will come and what He will do is, He's faithful and just to separate me from this sin and to cleanse me of any form of unrighteousness. (coughs) In other words, what He says is, the power of this death which Jesus conquered 2,000 years ago, will actually physically in manifestation be broken over your life and you will be able to say, as we say, we are holy in every part of our lives and eternal life belongs to every part of us and we are not light walking in darkness, but that light is permeated every area of our life. That is why this light brings forth a new thought in me, it brings forth love in me, and in the end, well, now already we can see signs, wonders, and miracles pointing to this supernatural power that can even heal the physical body. We see signs, wonders, and miracles even when the dead is raised, pointing to the immortality or the eternal life, which the Gnostics only believed that the Spirit has. Jesus comes and shows that He can save spirit, soul, and body from death. And that is what this means. So, in confession of sin, this is how I would, would, would confess sin. If I've done something wrong, I go and I would say to God, God, <clears throat> I never confess sin if I would call sin the fruit of the flesh. Let, let us use that terminology. I would never, should I see the fruit of the flesh manifest in me. In other words, if I see hatred manifest in me or anger. I will never go to God and say, I'm sorry, so that God would not keep it against me anymore. Because that's how we've seen it. God, I say, I'm sorry, so that God can now forgive me, that we can put it behind us, behind us, like you would go to your child and if you've ill-treated him and say to him, I'm sorry, or your child come to you and say, I'm sorry. And then when you see the sorrow, then your heart feels safe to continue in a love relationship. Because should he not show sorrow, then you feel that I cannot trust him anymore and I'm open for more hurt. And that is how traditionally I would confess sin towards God. But that's not how I would confess when I have that inability. If I've got something now where I have got anger or something like that and I've maybe said things that could harm the church, I would just express to God in a love relationship to him and say, God, in my heart I just feel sorry that that happened and that my body was available for that. I never wanted to see that. And I don't say that so that he can decide to forgive me. He's already forgiven me. It's like my wife and I, in our love relationship that we have, if I've said something wrong, um, I would say I'm sorry, not so that she can continue to love me, or because she, I know she loves me. And I know she will continue to love me. It is simply a relationship thing where we talk our heart. That's how I would, would acknowledge or confess, you know, or say I'm sorry about something. But that is not even what John speaks about here. Although I think it's a good thing. Get off your heart, speak to God about it. But what John talks about here is something completely different. Today, I will even apply this verse in this sense. I will every day acknowledge that is inside my own ability. The moment I say, I don't stand in the resurrected Christ, but I stand by the works of the law. The moment I do that, I remove 
my body, my mind, the core of my being from the enlightenment of God and then I start to I will start to use matter and the ability of matter to be like God and to be God I will use that to bring forth life and then it will just bring forth death so I think it's a very good thing for Christians even if you're a believer to acknowledge and say that in my own ability I can never attain unto the life of God. And the life of God in me now is there because of God bringing forth that life in me. That is it. So I think when we look at 1 John, and let me summarize 1 John, I want to quickly jump to Matthew 5. Sin confession is simply an acknowledgement that you, by your own power, cannot share in the eternal life of God, that you by your own power cannot conquer, cannot make matter share in eternal life. You cannot do that. And when we do that from the perspective of what Christ has done, and we see how He, how God brought life to matter, then we can say, since our fellowship is with Him, and we see ourselves in Christ and His death and resurrection, then we will find that that life of God will now come to us. You know, um, in the traditional penalty substitutionary atonement theory, for some of you, you might not know what that is. That's basically the, the theory that says that man sinned towards God. God is a just God. He needs to be punished and sin, because God is just. Therefore, God will had, had to punish man with death. Then he took his son, brought death on his son, so that the punishment for these people was now on his son. Therefore, God's wrath is not towards people. He's not angry towards people anymore. And now they can come boldly to God and live before God. That, that thought would leave you at a place where you say, well, all my sins was dealt with. Jesus is not angry with me anymore. Therefore, I live before God and now I can go to heaven. And it will bring joy. I mean, I believed it for many years and preached it. You know, I preached it on my, I'm sure there's many of those messages still on my early messages on my website. Uh, so I'm not against that. I just think that it is not as powerful or closely as powerful as this. Because, let me put it this way, if I say I'm not against it, I'm not against the person that would preach that. I'm not standing for that message anymore. When we see the true atonement and we understand that God has actually come to heal our flesh, like the Bible says that the Word of God is health to all your flesh, it means that He will heal your flesh from the fruit of the flesh. And He will heal you even from death. And that brings us to a place where when we look at Christianity, the issue is not, is smoking a sin or is drinking a sin or those kind of things. The issue immediately is, let us behold the life of Christ, His life is my life and I cannot live that life by my own power. I have gained it by my fellowship with the Father and with the Son. Therefore, I don't repent from my sins, but I receive salvation from my sins. And what I repent from is any other message but the gospel. That's what the Bible says in Mark 1.13. It says, repent and believe the gospel. In other words, repent from what you used to believe, believe the gospel now. 
That is repentance. And then we don't repent from our sins. In other words, the sin confession is not a thing where we say, I confess I've been wrong. No, it's more of a confession of, I don't have the ability by my own way of thinking to heal the world. You need to understand, if you want salvation, and I want to speak to people that are into New Age, and I find a lot of people getting into grace, you know, then after a while, if they don't understand what it's all about, get into New Age and think, you know, all kinds of thinking and stuff. You, by your way of thinking, have to be able to heal the world of all their sin. Not just yourself. We're still struggling with, I mean, you're struggling with yourself. How are you going to see the world this whole world become new. This whole planet explode into immortality and those kind of things. It is just impossible. But that is the promise of Jesus. And that's what he's come to give us. Now, Matthew 5 says the following. <clears throat> he says, um, in verse 20, he says, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. So he's talking about two righteousnesses here. He says there's a righteousness that's greater than the righteousness of the Pharisees. The Pharisees' righteousness was, by my works, I will attain life. And they didn't believe, the Jews, there were many Jews that didn't believe that they were sinners. They believed the Gentiles were sinners. The Jews were the blessed people of God. The Gentiles were sinners. And then God came and Jesus came and He says, you are bound by sin. And you need to be able to acknowledge that you are bound by it. Because... If you can acknowledge, I am bound by sin unto death, and you can behold Jesus, that he died and rose again, your mind would automatically jump to the conclusion that his life is your life, and then God, the righteousness of God, will then get it right to bring forth eternal life to you, of which the first part now in this life is the fruit of the Spirit. Amen. So, um, he says, Think not that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. I've not come to destroy, but fulfill. Verse 17, 18, For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass, that one point of comma shall pass from the law, until it is all fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of the least of these commandments, and teach men so, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So what is coming now and he's saying, there are the Pharisees and there's me. The Pharisees has a righteousness. Their righteousness cannot bring forth fruit. But my righteousness, I can do what this law says. And what this law says is that man has to be blessed with eternal life. Yet man cannot do the requirements of the law. Then Jesus comes and he says, I will do them and fulfill the purpose of the law, which was to be an in, uh, uh, instruction manual unto Jesus so that he would know how to bring salvation to man. And he would fulfill that so that we would now stand on the righteousness of Jesus and not the righteousness of the law. That's, you know, the righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees. The righteousness of the Pharisees was the righteousness of human ability. The righteousness of, uh, of Jesus was the, the very work of God in raising Jesus from the dead, conquering sin and death. If we have that good deed done towards us, instead of the good deed of bringing laws and commandments, which we need to do, we will actually be partaker of the life of God. So I want to say to you, 
And um, the message today is not going to be long. I just want to, I want to just talk on sin, confession, say it this way. This is how I confess to sin. Inside myself, I don't have the ability to repent from my sin. Now that is so much more different than what we have said. And I've said all of this so that you can hear what I'm saying. Normally we would say, sin confession would be, I confess that I have sinned and I am sorry, I will not do it again. Where in the way I see sin confession, according to John here, if we understand all of its fullness is, I confess, if we talk about in the area of a sin that I have committed or a fruit of the flesh, I would say, this is my confession. I confess that I cannot repent of my sin, but that Jesus is the Savior and that He conquers my inability to live righteous by my own works and I receive His life as my life. (coughs) Amen. Let me say it for the last time. Sin confession, the way I confess sin is this. I confess that I don't have the ability to bring forth the life of God in spirit, soul, and body. But that God, in every area of my life where there is not that ability, that He has conquered that and that my fellowship is with God in the Son, Jesus Christ. And now I don't walk in light and in darkness, but in Him is no darkness at all. And His light permeates my life, my spirit. I can see my spirit has changed. I became more gentle. I became more kind. I've I've received a spirit that looks like the spirit of Jesus, one that wants to give, one that's willing to, to sacrifice for others, give up things, be kind and good and generous. I see that spirit has changed. I see my life, the way I live, the things around me has changed. The way I I handle my money, the way my my life is now preserved by this goodness. My soul, the very life, my life is changed. My mind, He renews my mind. I'm thinking different thoughts. And I find that my body is experiencing the power of God. And in the end, even conquer physical death or receive the the victory that Christ had in our in the physical and I also confess to this that whatsoever fell because of what Adam did is not evil but is simply fallen and still valuable and God will restore it to its to to the glory that is intended for it to be in. Amen. Now today's message was a theological message, but I want you to just go and think about it, meditate about it. Sin confession is not to say I've done something wrong. Confession of sin is actually to confess that inside my own ability I don't have eternal life and I come short of immortality. And that is a very easy thing to say. Who of us cannot confess that you are mortal? And this is what he tried to say to the... um, the, And many people will differ with me on this, but this was what I believe John also wanted to say about the human spirit. He says, you need to confess your mortality so that you can have immortality and have eternal life. You know, we thought that eternal life is something that everybody just has. It just depends on where you're going to live forever. No, either heaven or hell. The way I see it and the way 
the scripture and the Holy Spirit has convinced me is that eternal life is a gift towards those who rely upon God, wherein God, who has no death in Him, comes and brings deathlessness to every part of humanity or the human being that believes. That's how I see that. I know many people can differ from this, um, but go and study it out. Go and study it out. I don't want to... You can go to my... um, I did a discipleship program. It's a discipleship program. Under which is that dawn? Okay, under Web Church, you'll find a tab that says the discipleship program. And I've had about, I think it's eight or ten lessons. Nine lessons there where I teach in depth on this. Go and look at that. And you will have a completely different understanding of the confession of sin. You know what? I'm happy to confess sin. I'm happy to confess that in my own ability, and that is the very thing Adam should have confessed from the beginning. He should have said, in my own ability, I cannot have life by secret knowledge. The only way this dust that was made alive can have eternal life was by God living in it and bringing it to life. And that would be a confession of inability. We've made confession of sin a very bad thing, a very negative thing. And now what he says is, He who is born of God sins not, meaning it means that those who are born of God, whose life is not born from the law or born from secret knowledge in Gnosticism, which has permeated the church to a great deal, those who are not born from that but is born from this revelation of Christ, they sin not, meaning death doesn't have a hold over them anymore. And they are walking now, not under the righteousness of the of works by the law, but they are walking under the righteous act of God in redeeming His people from sin and death. Amen and amen. Well, that's it. That's what I wanted to say. Let us pray. Father, I want to thank you that I can just stretch forth my hands to people right now. And where this message could be challenging to so many people... I thank you, Father, that as they hear this, that they will take it to you, that they will go and study the Scriptures, speak to you. I thank you, Father, as they speak to you or as they go in, even go and listen to the, um, that discipleship program, as they listen to that, that you will speak to their heart, enlighten their mind, and underst- that they can understand how you can actually, by your doing, conquer that which destroys us and gives us life in every area of our life. Amen. I just want to say this. Um, you know, it's a dangerous thing to believe something because of what someone else say they experience. And I want you to, in the light of that, hear what I'm about to tell you. <clears throat> so, don't believe this because of the experience that I've had. Because that would be one of the lowest forms of persuasion you can have unto this truth. But in my life, I can testify of how God, by this truth, has brought forth what I call absolute effortless holiness to my life. I can testify in practical things on when I speak to someone on the phone, when things don't work out the way I think it should work out, Uh, In my relationship with my wife and my children, I see a change. 
I can still see that there are things which God will change. And I'm not going to try and now change that. Because the moment I try and change that, I am now saying that I can heal that. And that it, and since I am confessing to the inability to change things and only believe in God's Spirit that will bring forth a change in everything, I will see that change eventually take place in my life. But I can testify. I know what's going on in my heart. I know what's going on in my mind. When I think of people, when I preach, the, the motive wherewith I preach. I remember there were times in, in, in my early days when I would go and preach at a church and my hope would be an offering. And I can say it's not like that anymore. And who, do you know what is a miraculous power? If a pastor can be saved from having his mind on an offering, that you call a miracle. And that took place in my life, wherein I can go with honesty, wherein I preach if there's five or ten or hundred, I don't care. My joy is truly on this message and on account of God's doing. It is God's joy in my heart. And I'm seeing that more and more in my life. So I can testify to this. Now like I said, don't believe this because Barthi testifies about it. But it's just simply good to encourage one another in what we see the Lord is bringing forth in our lives. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for watching and I'll see you again next week. God bless.